0: My goodness. <laughs> All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5 while you're turning there. Today's going to be a little bit different. You know my passion, my heartbeat. What we almost do every week is go to one passage, preach the entirety of that passage, unpack and squeeze the life out of it, um, and next week back to regular scheduled programming. Okay? Okay. This week, this week, I'm going to try to preach a shorter sermon. Uh, Try, okay, (laughs) try, because I want you to have time to visit these booths, and I'm going to be doing something that's really kind of zoom out of the Gospel of Luke and into Acts and kind of show you a pattern in Jesus' life, and so primarily, I'm going to be summarizing passages of Scripture, but I thought I wanted to read this morning, too, something else is different, two different passages that are really going to help frame up what we're trying to talk about this morning. All right. Luke chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1, and this is really getting to the original call of the disciples. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little further from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon." Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, we'll let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, began to, they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. If you have your... Go ahead now, if you would, to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. Confused myself there for a second. I was like, what in the world am I looking at here? Okay, Acts chapter 4. That's where. That's right. All right. Beginning in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were on the high priestly family. Does those names strike a bell, by the way? Those were the names that led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay? Remember the scene. Verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which had become the cornerstone." And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, I pray that the kind of transformation that we see in the disciples would be found in our lives. I pray that the kind of transformation that we see in the disciples would transpire in the life of Iron City and that we would equip our people and encourage our people and help our people to to move more and more from Luke chapter 5 to Acts chapter 4 to be overwhelmingly transformed into the image of Jesus, to live on the mission for Jesus. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would cast for us the vision of, of your method and your means for refining us into the people that you've called for us to be. And that as a result, oh Lord, that we would be a more united church and a more a more devout church and a church that is more effective in making disciples of all nations. Lord, I pray that you would come and through your spirit move among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You'll see there that Luke, really doesn't give the most flattering introduction to the disciples. That Luke presents the disciples as these kind of faithless, skeptical fishermen. Jesus comes to them and, and he says, "Let down your or Go out and let down your nets. And they're like, We've been fishing all night and we know what we're talking about and we haven't caught a doggone thing. Why in the world would we come and listen to you? All right, well, we're going to let them down, right? And then, and then, they catch so many fish that their nets begin to burst, and what is their response then? They're afraid. Jesus has to look to them in verse 10 of chapter 5 and say, do not be afraid. And so the introduction that we have to these disciples is not of strong, courageous, virile men, it's a timid, faithless, unbelieving men. Which is why it's such a stark contrast when we come into Acts chapter 4. And these men that had denied Jesus, these men that had scattered after the crucifixion of Jesus, are recollected in the midst of the very people, Caiaphas, Annas, the Sanhedrin, the very men that had crucified Jesus and had led to the destruction of Jesus. They're standing before him, and instead of of cowering down, instead of being afraid, they stand up to him. And they said, if you want to know how this man was healed, I'll tell you how it was healed. It was by the man that you nailed to the cross. And if you want to be saved, salvation will not come by the keeping of the law of Moses. It comes only under the name of a single man, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins and be saved. And so it's stark, isn't it? When here are these men who crucified Jesus see his apostles, once cowards, standing before him, and they perceive that they were uneducated common men and were astonished because of their boldness. The question I want us to ask this morning is what transpired between those two passages? What transpired between those two passages that led to the transformation of cowards into those who would be bold witnesses unto death for the Lord Jesus? Jesus Now we know we know that one of the things that happened happens in Acts chapter two. We know that the Spirit of God descends upon His disciples and fills them and gives them power and boldness and, and courage. But that's not all. And if the only requirement was the Spirit of God, Jesus could have just given them the Spirit of God and sent them on the way. Right out of Luke chapter five, this whole story would have been, would have been finished. But for three and a half years, for three and a half years, these men walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus and were taught by Jesus and were trained by Jesus. And I think what we'll find is if we zoom out and we see a macro perspective of the Gospels and the work that Jesus did, that Jesus had a strategic, intentional process of apprenticeship in which he gradually increased the commitment level and responsibility of his disciples, increasing the level of responsibility that they had at at a pace in which they could absorb, but that kept them uncomfortable every step of the way. And I think that what we're meant to recognize is this pattern so that we begin to emulate it in our lives, so that we begin to emulate it in our churches. That this is not just how disciples are trained, this is how everybody learns everything that they ever learn to do. So I call this the apprenticeship funnel, what we see in the life of Jesus. You like that? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful funnel? I asked the staff if they wanted me to have a a really nice-looking funnel on there. They said they liked the raw one. And the apprenticeship funnel really begins... With the invitation of Jesus. And we know that it concludes with the kingdom of Jesus. But what I want to concern our time with is how do we get from point A to point B? How did Jesus move his disciples from the invitation down to the building of the kingdom? To the flourishing of his disciples within the nature of that kingdom? And The first thing that I think that we see is that we have to be in the room. Be in the room. That the invitation that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 5, right out of the gate, is come and be with me. You you come, you follow me, you were catching fish, now you'll catch men. I love the way Matthew says this in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, the invitation of Jesus is so straightforward and so blunt, but so to the point. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now what does it mean when somebody's going to make you something? It means you're not already, doesn't it? It means that there's going to be a process of transformation that's going to take place in your life. And the response that we see from the disciples really helps us to understand the nature of what the invitation is that Jesus is giving when he gave it to them and he gives it to us to come and to follow him. What do they do? They leave behind their boats. They leave behind their nets. They leave behind their jobs. They leave behind everything that was comfortable and familiar. They leave behind everything to come and to just be with Jesus. They're going to live their lives with Jesus. They're going to be in the room with Jesus wherever Jesus goes to see everything that Jesus does. That what we see about disciple making right out of the gate is the way that we're intended to be transformed is life on life. Person with person. That Jesus is inviting his disciples to come, be in the room while I'm teaching on the kingdom of God. Be in the room as I face opposition and see how I face it. Be in the room as I, as I struggle to find a place to lay down my head at night and suffer and see how I suffer. Be in the room and watch as a man of God suffers so that you can begin to learn what life in the kingdom, what a man of God ought to look like. You see, what we ought to recognize is that discipleship is far more caught than it is taught. Discipleship is far more caught than it is taught. And when we begin to realize the person that God has called for us to be, the man, the woman, the, the teenager that God has called us to be, What our next thought ought to be is, where do I find a man or a woman or a person like that? Where do I find them? Because what I need to do is I need to find a person that is like the man of God, the woman of God that God has called me to be. And I need to go and put myself in a room with them. Because if what you'll find is if you'll put yourself in a room with the person that displays the character, the fruit of the spirit, all the the fruit bearing that Ryan talked about last week. You'll put yourself in the room with them. What you'll discover is slowly. Indiscernibly, without you even realizing it, suddenly you'll begin to res- respond to situations in a similar way. Suddenly you'll begin to frame up things with a similar perspective. Being in the room, you begin to become more and more like those persons. And so, if you surround your people, yourself with people that are a step ahead of you, that's how you take the next step. That's how you ne- take the next step. But what we notice is in Jesus' ministry, He doesn't leave His disciples there. That after they're in the room with Him, He, ask- he invites them to come in, ...and test the waters. Come in and test the waters. That Jesus recognizes that it's much easier to agree with him... ...than it is to apply and implement the things that he's teaching. It's much easier to agree with what he's saying... ...than to live out what he's saying. And so what Jesus does is he does what every good teacher does. He puts them in a controlled environment where they can fail without being destroyed... He puts them in a controlled environment where they can try to begin implementing and applying the things that that he's teaching so that he can create a crisis of faith in their heart. Bring them back, teach them, explain it, bring, reveal to them where their muscles are not yet developed, where their instincts are not yet developed, where their impulses and their perspective is not yet developed. And so he's bringing them close over and over throughout the Gospels. He's teaching them how that is, why it is that they failed, how it is they can avoid failing the next time. You really see this, I think, as the Gospel of Luke progresses in Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9. At the end of Luke chapter 8, there's that famous scene where Jesus and his disciples, they get on a boat and they go out over the Sea of Galilee. And I love, I think this is so awesome. Jesus goes down and takes a nap. Naps are biblical, amen? Jesus took naps. I'm taking a nap this afternoon. I'm telling you, all write it down. Jesus goes under under the boat and he takes a nap. And the great storm comes. And I think it's amazing. Apparently, Jesus doesn't even wake up and the boat's about to sink. So the disciples are panicked. They go down and they get Jesus. Jesus comes up and he calms the storm in an instant. And they're astonished, just like they were when they were catching the fish in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? They'd failed, hadn't they? But Jesus, Jesus had shown them, Jesus had shown them that he was going to take care of them. And at the same time, he had drawn out of them the failure. You go forward into Luke chapter 9, what happens? There you have the sand. Jesus is preaching to like 20,000 people. It's a huge crowd. Mega church Jesus, Okay. And he's preaching, and the sun begins to beat down him, and all the people are hungry, and there's not a McDonald's and a KFC on the corner. And so the disciples begin to panic, and they don't know how in the world they're gonna be able to feed all of these people. These people are gonna to starve to death and pass out. Like we're gonna have a serious issue on our hands. This is that Jesus, we need to send them all home. I love one of my very, I told her staff, one of my very favorite verses in all of the Bible is Luke chapter 9, verse 13. When the disciples come to Jesus in a panic, and Jesus looks up and says, Well, you give them something to eat. Can't you just imagine them trying to empty their pockets like, what in the world is this cat talking about? I don't, I'm hungry myself. I'm a little hangry. I could use a Snickers. Like, I don't have anything. And of course, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is drawing out of their hearts that they're not getting it. He's showing it. He's he's, he's putting them in a situation where they are going to fail, but it's a controlled environment so that it won't be catastrophic. Then Jesus takes the little boy's offering of faith, the little lunch, and he multiplies the fishes and the loaves, and he feeds all 20,000 so that they can recognize the source of their provision. And sandwiched, sandwiched right in between those two stories, Jesus sends out the 12. And he says, this time, you're going to go out in my authority. And this time you're going to go out in my power. And you're going to be able to cast out demons. You're going to be able to heal the sick. And they go out and they're able to do it. And they're just as astonished now that they can do it. Jesus is showing them. Jesus is showing them. You try to do this your way, you're going to fail every time. You try to do this in your strength, you're going to blow it every time. But if you will go out in my authority, and you go out with my blessing, and you will do these things in my name, you cannot fail at the will that I have for you. So you see what Jesus is doing is Jesus is showing us the pattern of how we learn everything. Jesus creates a pattern that you'll see, if you think about it, all the stories of Jesus that you know, I think this will make sense. He's always sending, He's always stressing, he's always teaching. He sends them out, He stresses them out, He brings them out in and he teaches them. Stress can be a good thing. Stress can be a teacher. That Jesus is always keeping his disciples uncomfortable, but he's keeping them uncomfortable at a, at a level that won't, won't overwhelm them. He's gradually allowing them to test the waters a little more. And once they've done that, once they've done that, they begin to learn the ropes. They begin to learn the ropes. Now, it's important to remember that we're talking about a funnel and not a staircase here. Okay? A funnel is much more fluid. A staircase, you always know which step that you're on, right? But, but a funnel is much more fluid. It's much more subtle than that. You're, you're gradually descending toward where you're ultimately supposed to be, where your ultimate destination is. But there's bleed over. There's there's blurry lines. And so you might be kind of between testing the waters and learning the ropes. You, you're, you're kind of letting go of this stage as you move into this stage. But it's not all at once. And so it's it's, it's sometimes hard to discern because it's a... It's a very subtle process. But as you come into Luke chapter 10, Jesus does another sending out. But this time it's in greater detail and it's with greater intensity. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. This is more than just the immediate circle of the 12. You realize Jesus had more than just 12 disciples, right? He just had 12 that was in the inner circle. He sends out 72 of his disciples and he sends them out two by two. But before they go, Jesus tells them two things. The first thing that he tells them, he says, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, you're gonna have success. The kingdom is gonna be built. There are my people that are out there among those fields, and in those fields, you're gonna find them, and you're gonna raise them up, and they're gonna have hope because of you. They're gonna be healed because of you, and the demons are gonna be cast out because of you. But the second thing he says is he says, there's going to, those fields are gonna be filled with wolves. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. Matthew 10 gives us a a, a deeper explanation. He says, father is going to turn against son. Brother is going to turn against brother. Neighbor is going to turn against neighbor. That that you're going to go out, you're going to build my kingdom, you're going to have success, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to be filled with suffering. It's going to be filled with with difficulty. You're going to have days in which you want to quit. You're going to have days in which you wonder why you're doing this at all. You're going to have days in which, which it seems impossible. The task has been placed in front of you. So they go out. And the Lord blesses them. And they, they, they suffer. And they, and they struggle. But you know what it says? It says that when they return, they return. This is the exact phrase. They return with joy. They return. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? He's teaching them the ropes. He is giving them a foretaste of what their ministries are going to be like. He's giving them a foretaste of what they're to expect when he leaves. And now their responsibility is to go and to build the church. He shows them how the kingdom is going to be built. How their mission is going to be accomplished. The means and the method. That is, they're going to be sent out as sheep among the wolves. They're going to be sent out. The means are going to be his authority and his power. They're going to have success. They're going to be able to build the kingdom. They're going to endure suffering. But in the light of that suffering, the Lord is actually going to purify his church and prune his church. And make them even more fruitful. But is isn't to show them how the kingdom is going to be made. He shows them why it's actually worth it. He shows them actually why it's worth it. When, when they return back, even though they've encountered hardship, and even though they've encountered suffering and disappointment, even though they've experienced betrayal, when they return with their joy, what Jesus is drawing out of them is the reality that as hard as it's going to be, and even though every one of them are going to die a martyr's death, and every one of them are going to suffer at the hands of persecuting a persecuting society, that ultimately what they're going to find is that they have a deeper and more abiding joy than the emperor living in the opulence of his palace. That it's worth it. That it means something to them. And so once they've Been in the room with Jesus and tested the waters with Jesus and learned the ropes with Jesus. Now, now it's time for them to get in the game. Now it's time for them to get in the game. Now I want you to notice that as we move down, we're increasing in the commitment level and the responsibility level. That Jesus doesn't immediately launch them and say, go start the church. Jesus acclimates them. Jesus, Jesus slowly teaches them and trains them. And Jesus lets them experience failure in a controlled environment before they're in an uncontrolled environment. But then when you get to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, man, it's time to get in the game. It's time to build the church. And so we see that in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the two things happen. First, they're given the mission. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They're given the mission that they're going to go out and they're going to make Jesus known from the from the Place that they are in Jerusalem, to the far reaches and corners of the earth, to, to places that they don't know, and people they don't know exist, and tongues they can't naturally speak. And then you come into Acts chapter 2 after they're given the mission, and now they're given the power. They're given the Holy Spirit who will go with them, who will strengthen them, who will enable them, who will embolden them. Now, what's what's interesting there is I think that what we're seeing is that the purpose of the funnel is to draw out in us that to which we're being drafted and in the way which we have been crafted. That the whole time what we're seeing is that the Lord is drafting them into the church. He's drafting them into the mission. And as we come into Acts chapter 2 and the Spirit comes and falls upon them, we see that there are distinctions among the disciples. We see that there are particular ways that they've been crafted to fulfill the mission that they into which they have been drafted. Peter rises up as the leader among the disciples. He's the preacher that goes and preaches at Pentecost and 2,000 are saved. Others of the 12 go and they they begin to to go and plant churches, and they preach and go as missionaries to India and Lebanon and all over Asia and Africa and Europe. Then you have the the 120. Most of them operate just in a local church like ours where they love each other and live in gospel community and, and build one another up and meet one another's needs. That all of them have been drafted into the mission of building the kingdom, but they have specific areas in which they've been equipped and crafted by the Lord through the Spirit to live out this mission. Most Christians I know, most Christians I know are sitting on the pew waiting to figure out what their gifts are. They think, if I could ever just figure out what my spiritual gifts are, how I've been crafted, I really would get in the game. Like, I really do want to serve. I really really do want to make a difference. But, you see, you don't discover your gifts by special revelation, clouds and dreams and all that. And you don't discover your gifts, y'all forgive me, some of y'all i going to hurt your feelings right here, I, I hope I don't. You don't learn them with a test, okay, for the love of God. Can we move past the spiritual gift surveys? Ain't nobody ever left inspired from a spiritual gift survey. And the truth is, the truth is, when you answer those questions, you're only answering what you know. And God knows you better than you know you. You don't know what you're capable of. There are passions that can be unlocked in your life that you have no comprehension of. There are spiritual gifts that are waiting to be discovered as you get on the mission. Why would you discover your spiritual gifts if you're never going to use them? But when you get in the game, when you begin to move down the funnel, all of a sudden those spiritual gifts become necessities for survival. Necessities for the ability to flourish. And what you begin to see is you stop operating out of your resources. And you begin operating out of God's resources. And that's when you return with joy even in the face of suffering you see I think about my journey I think about my journey I've told y'all before I didn't think I could preach I was I was terrified to talk in front of people I couldn't do it I didn't know it but I had people along my life that say hey try this nope nope I know that was bad let's give it another go yeah that was worse let's give it one more go I think about Andrew. Andrew, when years ago, he was our youth worship leader, and I came to him. I said, I think you ought to be our junior high pastor. Andrew said, I can't do that. I sing. That's what I do. He didn't think he could lead. And today, Andrew's one of the strongest leaders I know. Logan. Logan was so nervous about teaching in front of people. Logan didn't think he had any capability to do that whatsoever. We're like, man, I think you can do it. Let's go for it. You discover how God has crafted you into what God has drafted you as you get in the game. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens gradually. And here's what I don't think we've done a good job of here. What would I don't think we've done a good job. We have not done a good job of equipping you by getting you to the top of the funnel. We've I, I, Inadvertently, it's never been our heart. It's never been our intention. But I think inadvertently we've basically said if you're not willing to change diapers and you don't want to teach, we can't use you. But there's a whole lot of you that might be able to teach. You might be able to preach. You might be able to do the Lord only knows. But you can't start it right now. You can't start on level four. Because once you get in the game, you may even be ready to begin shepherding the flock. And I don't mean that in the elder sense. I mean that in the leadership sense. Like you become the person that's helping other people go down the funnel. But you don't start there. You don't start on level four or level five. But I feel like that's what we've been telling you to do. That's the story of these tables that you see. We've been working through this as a team. We've been working through this as a team. And what what you're going to find is on those tables, it all involves the first three tiers. There are no level four, no level five uh, entries on any of these tables. What we want to be able to do is come to you and depending on the level of responsibility and the level of commitment that you're ready for, depending on the level of, 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 of just capacity that you have in your life, the bandwidth that you have, to be able to say, okay, I want to contribute to the life of the church. I want to grow in the in relation with you. Maybe right now I just need to be in the room. Or, or, or maybe I can do a little bit more than that. I, I can take a little more responsibility, but not a ton. And so, so I would be willing to go in and test the waters. And over time I can learn the ropes and maybe do some of the other things. So here's, here's here, let me give you an example of what this looks like in kids' ministry. And don't shut me down. Like some of y'all don't even, you don't even think you like kids, okay? And, and so I, I say kids' ministry and you immediately lock down. This is an example. This is an example. But I think it also shows how maybe people who aren't necessarily comfortable with kids at the beginning might be able to find an entry point and then be able to move down the road. And by the way, if you start in level one in one ministry and you discover it's not a good fit, guess what? There's a lot of tables, man. There's a lot of tables. Go, have a conversation with a leader, and then let them find one that's a better fit for you. But let's talk about what this could look like in Kidsmin. All right, so level one, being in the room. Maybe you could just start out. Maybe you're like, I'm not ready to teach kids' praise, okay? I'm not ready. Matter of fact, I can't even stand a whole hour of kids' praise being in there. What if you could just be on a kids' praise check-in team? You're there for 10 minutes. You're there to just help people navigate the iPads, help Calm some of the chaos there at the bottleneck in the beginning. Help parents have a good experience. Help, help visitors have a good experience and a smiling face. And then you go about your merry way and go on to your own group. That's easy, right? Low commitment, low responsibility. Maybe that, well, that's almost too easy. I can do more than that. Or maybe you do that for a while and the Lord works in your heart. And, and you begin to, to notice the kids. And you think, who in the world is following up with those kids? And that's where you can take a test the waters opportunity and progress to kid, kids praise follow up. It's a little more responsibility, but what if you could be that person, that that kind person in somebody, in some child's life, some parent's life. Think of a single mom who is just scraping by, man. And all of a sudden, one day, her child's not there. And they get a note in the mail, a handwritten card from somebody that says, hey, we missed you today. We love you. We're so thankful that you're a part of our church. What if they visit and they don't just get a letter from me, the pastor. They get a letter from someone that interacted with them and with their child to say, it was so good to have the opportunity to meet you. That's not a huge responsibility. That's, we're not talking about hours of, of lesson preparation. We're talking about writing a card. Maybe you do that for a while and you get around and you think, you know, I didn't think I like kids, but these guys are okay. You know, like Tracy's pretty awesome. I like hanging out with Tracy. You begin to progress and now you could be a Kids Praise team member you're not teaching anything. You're not teaching anything. You're crowd control. You're you're there to love on the kids, to make sure the kids are safe, to make sure that resources are getting where they need to be, to make sure that lessons are printed and and all the object lessons are ready and all the things that they do over there. Maybe you're there to to help them clean up all the glitter out of the floor. Please, Jeff begs you, help them clean up the glitter out of the floor, right? And, And you think, you know, like, it's a little more responsibility. I have to maybe do it once a month or something like that, but but I'm not prepping anything. It's not a huge high commitment. I can do that. I can, I can be a supporter. And then you're around there for a while. And eventually you start getting a little more interested in what's happening and a little more involved. And, and the team leader is going to be out that day. And you say, I can fill in for that. I can fill in for that. And you do a great job. Or maybe you don't do a great job, but they encourage you. And you try to get and You try to get And then you do a great job. And over time you become a Kids Praise teacher. Over time, you begin to see what the opportunities are there for you, and, and you hit it out of the park, and you continue to grow, and you continue to see what, what God does. And over time, you can actually become a kids' praise trainer. Do you see? Do you see? Like, this doesn't happen all at once. It happens over a period of years. For Jesus' disciples, it took three and a half years. We're not asking you to come and be a Supreme Court Justice with a lifetime appointment. But like, come, begin to grow, begin to move down the funnel, and begin to be increased over time. And to see how God works in your life. And I bet what you'll think, what you'll realize, is that Jesus' method for teaching is the way that all of us learn everything that we learn. I asked our staff, I said, "How, how did you get to where you are? If I would have come to you where you are five or ten years ago and and told you that I need you to serve in your current role, what would you have said? Almost every single one of them said, I would have said, absolutely not. I remember I asked uh, Brittany Cofield this directly in front of the whole team. That's kind of the way I roll, I guess. And uh, Brittany is just hitting it out of the park with our preschool ministry. She's an absolute rock star. But five years ago, she was just a new person in our church. And I said, Brittany, if I would have come to you five years ago and I would have said, hey, I want you to be our preschool minister, what would you have said? She would have said, I would have probably went to a different church. <laughs> but what happened? What was the pattern? Well, she got into a connection group. She began to make some friendships in the connection group. Some of them re- revealed to her that as she was dropping off Jack that like, they could use a lot more help in the nursery. So she just started serving in the nursery. She did that for a couple of years, serving in the nursery, and then over time, even as her son moved out of the nursery into the preschool ministry, she became, became one of the leads of the nursery, helping organize the teams and being responsible to make sure that everything was taken care of. And then she began decorating and painting and doing all the stuff to make it pretty. She, wanted to, she had a passion to make it go to a different level. And then when the preschool minister position came open, I didn't have to go ask her. She just applied. <laughs> she just wanted to do it. She thought, I think I can do that. Y'all, that's how this happens. That's how you discover how God has wired you. And as I've thought about Brittany's story, and I've thought about my story, and I've thought about the story of so many of those on our staff, among our elders, on our leadership team, it got me excited about all of the potential energy that's in this room. It got me excited because all of you have an opportunity to experience what Brittany experienced at a level that that you've never experienced it before. And it makes me excited. You you may not be the preschool minister, you probably won't be. I don't think Brittany's going anywhere anytime soon. But we got a spot for you. And it makes me excited for you to find what your story's going to be. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one on one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.